So our next session is all around building content for organic and paid reach. And we're really fortunate to be joined by Megan and Andy uh, from a test. Um, a test is a you know, platform designed for ambitious marketers that aren't experts in doing research, but need answers fast. And actually I thought it was really relevant because a lot of you recently have been asking me about brand tracking and actually how you set it up and the right sort of questions you should be asking. And what is even more interesting about, I think, um, Megan Andy at a test, not just what, you know, a test does, but also the fact that, you know, Megan, who's director of branding comes there, you know, that was the role, the marketing role that a test had first. And then Andy joined uh, this year, I believe it was, um, to sort of take on everything demand gen and the two work really closely together. Um, they're going to be able to talk to you about how they think about um, the content engine and what it, how it sort of works across channels um, and different types of content for the different audiences. So I'm going to uh, hand over to you both. Awesome. Hello. Um, I will share my screen. The obligatory, can everyone see my screen? Thumbs yeah. up. Okay, great. Andy, you there? I am. I'm, okay. I'm ready to go. <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, thanks so much, guys, for having us today. Um, as Natasha said, we're talking about organic and paid reach through content. Um, just a little bit about us. I'm Megan. Um, I've been with a, with a test for a couple of years now, and I handle the brand and communication side of the marketing team. Um, so. Uh, that is product marketing, content marketing, and events. And I'll pass over to Andy. Hi, I'm Andy, uh, head of demand gen at Test. Uh, so I lead the other half of the marketing team, demand generation team. So we're responsible for all performance marketing, uh, seem to be responsible for the Attest website and basically everything digital. Awesome. Um, so yeah, Natasha's given a, a pretty good explanation of what we do, um, but just to make it super clear, we are a really easy to use survey platform, a research platform. Um, research has moved a long way in the last, since, you know, Kantar in 1992, all the way through to Qualtrics and Tableau now. Um, but we're essentially made to be super accessible, super easy for marketers to use. Um, so essentially the tool for people who are not specialists. Um, so if you ever have any questions about that, do let me know. Uh, we work with some really cool brands, um, actually several brands that work with Seacamp as well, um, which is really exciting. Lots of sort of up and coming brands as well, um, which is great. Okay, so a few, uh, a few things to set the stage. So yeah, I started in 2018 at a test. Natasha thought it might be interesting to talk through sort of the, the structure of the team when I joined. Um, we were about 25 to 30 people when I joined in 2018, um, there are five people in the marketing team, including myself. So there was my boss, the VP of marketing. Um, we had two content writers or content execs and a part-time comms designer. Um, and then fast forward to 2020, we're now at 11 people um, and we've added product marketing. So we've got two product marketers or I added that when I joined, we've got, um, we've got events, Oops, sorry. We've got events and we've got growth marketing, um, which is obviously Andy's domain. And then as Andy mentioned, we're actually going to be adding in a website squad to sort of handle our website. So we're hiring um, a growth marketer to lead that 
alongside a designer and a developer, which is very exciting. Um, so lots have changed over the last couple of years. And the way that Andy and I have structured this is actually around learnings. Um, so obviously I've been with a test, so a lot of these are for two years. So a lot of this is centered around a test and Andy's been um, super, super busy over the last few months. Uh, so he's learned a lot as well. Um, so yeah, we'll run through it that way. And I'm gonna start with brand. Um, I'm gonna move on uh, quite quickly to content, but I think one, one learning that I found really, really useful um, or thought could be quite useful for you guys is around investing in brands because I know that typically it's not the first thing that people love to, to throw their money at in the sense that a lot of the time um, if you've got any content um, and or you've got a performance marketer on, on the team, they're able to drive leads um, at a reasonable rate. But actually what we do at a test is quite unique in that we do do a lot of brand tracking with clients. Um, and a lot of our clients actually talk about this plateau that they reach when it comes to, to performance marketing. Um, so one of our clients is, is TransferWise. Um, so uh, the creative lead at TransferWise was talking to me in a case study about how, you know, when it comes to being a direct-to-consumer product, it's really easy to understand exactly what's happening with um, digital marketing or performance marketing. So, you know, they spend this much money, they get this much back in revenue from the customers. And obviously this is quite different when it comes to brand, um, but it will start to, the growth often does start to lag if you don't have a firm foundation in who your brand is and what you stand for to then to then actually layer on top of the work that you're doing from a performance perspective. So I guess my learning is to invest, not necessarily loads of time and money at the, at the outset, but to start small and invest a little bit. Um, you don't necessarily need to engage a really expensive agency. Me and my colleague Taya are actually doing a project internally right now. Um, we're just about finished looking at you know, tons of stakeholder interviews, whether that's external or internal, um, and coming up with like, what is our proposition? What's the big idea at the center of everything? And I think these five things that I've listed here, so proposition, your cultural values, and how those sort of bleed into your brand personality, um, what your purpose or mission is, all of these things come together to act as a foundation to sort of grow from when it comes to creating creative campaigns or anything brand marketing related that you can layer on top of the more transactional performance marketing stuff. Um, so I wanted to start there because what's happened is actually, I wish that we'd started this process six months before. Um, and it would have been, it would have been amazing if I'd had some of this stuff ready to go. Um, so that when I'm working with Andy and his team, we're, optimizing for lots of different things as opposed to just more transactional leads. Okay, next learning is around segmentation, um, which is a very loaded term in research. Um, I guess when I joined, I was the fifth person. We didn't really have any, we, we had no segmentation work um, and we didn't have a ton of direction in terms of who we were going after. We were kind of the research tool for anyone. Um, and it, that makes marketing really challenging when you're trying to go after tons of different people with tons of different use cases for, for a specific product. Um, so I guess my learning here is that 
yeah, segmentation doesn't have to be such a loaded term. It can literally just mean doing some research and getting a steer in the right direction to start you off. So we ran like a 20 question survey um, that ended up acting as like the guiding, the directional, the thing we came back to again and again for direction essentially. So looking at like, you know, getting a steer on opportunity size, getting a steer on like, based on the use cases we know people use for our product, which job roles are those most enticing to? Um, how, how much of an opportunity is that? Um, uh, getting a sense of like how often someone would want to use a tool like ours, things like that. And, and again, like just basic stuff, but it, it provides the rest of the team with so much direction. And actually it also provided us with tons of marketing messages. So taking a look at um, this question we put together around pain points, um, a lot of this informed our performance marketing, but then also just like more, more creative marketing as well. So lots of the campaigns were around um, struggling, having a lot of responsibility, but struggling to make changes within the business. Like that was an insight that we, we didn't realize resonated with marketers. Um, obviously consumer trends changing even more quickly than ever before. Um, we, we thought that that was a, a big pain point, but we saw, um, with this research, we were able to apply that to a lot of the work that we were doing from a marketing perspective. So yeah, I guess quite a simple one, but don't be afraid to do some research. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be segmentation if you want to start small. And then my final learning um, is around content. Um, so product marketing has created a really cool foundation for, for great content at a test. Um, so I think Again, learning how product marketing and content marketing kind of feed into each other was something that it took me, it took me a little while to sort of get a sense of. Um, but that research that I just talked about is, is kind of core product marketing in terms of understanding your, your customer and your market. And all of that research then sort of bled into the content. And that's kind of a gross way of saying that, but it, it, it fed into the content and events um, that we ended up running. So we use that very much to inform exactly what we were going to do. Um, and it kind of looks like this. So when we look at building the content calendar, we focus kind of initially, we focus on measurement. So like, what is it actually that we want to happen? I think a lot of small businesses or growing businesses know that they need to produce content. Um, they know that they need to have reports. Um, for people to download so that they can collect leads, but they don't actually know what what they're trying to do or who they're trying to go after. Um, and so we often start with like, what are our goals for um, the, that quarter's content? Then we look at the research and analysis I just mentioned. So we look at the market as a whole and our, our competition, like what are they doing? Um, what seems to be working? And then specifically, we kind of layer that on top of our product value and um, the pain points I, I mentioned before. So like, what are the problem statements or use cases that we know will resonate within the market based on the research and analysis we've done, um, but also just based on like the customer feedback that we've gotten internally. And then finally, obviously you need to think about SEO. Um, so when it comes to all of that information, we take into account um, different stages of the funnel. So what would someone at the, who's potentially not aware that there is a problem that we can help them solve, um, what would they potentially be searching for versus um, what are some more high intent keywords when they are aware of a problem? So for instance, in our 
in our world, it would be uh, creative testing or brand tracking or something like that. And how can we uh, apply that or how, how can we add that into the content calendar? One other thing to note is um, there is an element of content, which is, is honestly sometimes my favorite part that's more around your point of view in the market um, and it's more of a brand building piece so for instance for us we are really well known for working with like fast growth companies um, so we just recently did a, a, an interview with the brand manager at ugly drinks um, that's not really something that people are searching for um, but it's really important for us to prioritize because it it is the, the message that we want to get out there that, you know, that is the, the type of or the caliber of company that we're working with. And then, of course, it goes back to measurement and then the whole cycle kind of feeds through. So depending on how things went, um, we're currently building our content calendar on a quarterly basis. Um, a lot of our events calendar, um, a lot of that is is built on like a six to 12 month basis just because of the way that events work. Um, but yeah, it's all about iterating and figuring out how we can make things better. And I'll just close off with, this is just a visual of what our content calendar looks like. Um, so yeah, lots of them are focus keywords, have focus keywords, sorry. And we always have a funnel stage attributed. So uh, top of the funnel, middle or bottom. Um, and I think one thing that we learned the hard way was that when we're putting together blogs or events, we always need to think about what the hero content is that's associated with that piece of content. Um, so there's, if the goal for you is to get convergence, um, there's no point putting out a, a really great blog post about a Nike marketing campaign, or not no point, but there's less of a point in putting out a great blog post about that if there's not a really nice piece of downloadable content that directly links back to that piece that you can, you can offer up to someone when they're finished reading the article or when they're halfway through the article. Um, and that's not something that we really optimized for my first few quarters when I was here. And um, now that we're doing that, we've seen a lot more success when it comes to organic conversions. So I highly recommend taking a look at that. Um, and yeah, I think that's it for me. If there are any questions, I can answer them at the end. But um, for now, I will hand it over to Andy. Cool. Thank you, Megan. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna talk through a couple of lessons as well. Um, show you a few frameworks that we use to kind of plan out what channels we use, distributing content, what content goes where in the funnel, things like that. Uh, just for a little bit of context before I start, a test with, I think, I think a lot of what I'm going to talk about is relevant for anyone, but a test with B2B, ACV is around £20,000, sales cycle about a month, so we're looking like 40, 50 days from lead to close. Right, so everything's coming from that place, although hopefully anyone can learn, learn from, from what I'm going to talk about. Okay, so first lesson, turning the funnel upside down can help bring some focus. Okay, thank you. Right, um, this is a real basic demand funnel, right? Build some awareness for the company, create some demand for your products and services, do whatever you need to do to kind of have as many of them become customers and report on what you're doing um, as you go. At a test, what we've started to do is to think about this in complete reverse. Next one, please. Sorry, Megan. Um, we're thinking about the whole thing in reverse. Why are we thinking about the thing in reverse? Because actually then we are prioritizing the things that are closest to revenue. So full funnel reporting comes first. I am not suggesting for a second that we have the most ninja attribution model in the world because we absolutely don't. And I'm gonna 
show you how much we don't in a little bit later in the presentation. Um, but what I do mean is, uh, before you do something, know what you want to measure about it and know that you can measure it before you start. That's basically it. Um, number two is where capture existing intent is where my team's spending the majority of our thinking at, my, at the moment. That is essentially, if people are in the market thinking about buying something that you do, make it as easy as possible for them to do so. So that is search is a good example of that. Someone's searching for something like a test, we want to be there. If someone comes to our site and they go off, we want to do what we can to get them back. When they're on the site, we want to convert as many of them as possible. Yes, that is like traditional, so we call it CRO, like what button goes where and what color should it be? But it's also the brand stuff and product marketing stuff that Megan was just talking about. So come to the website. Is it really bl bloody obvious like what, the, what this thing does and who it's for? If yes, cool, you'll convert more. If no, do the brand stuff. Um, and then the other thing in there is this th something I'm calling lead management CX, which is a bit pretentious maybe, but what it means is it's, it's the catch-all for everything that happens after the moment someone fills out a form to the point of having a meeting because that's basically what my team is responsible for, right? So let's just make sure that they have a really good experience, make sure that it's clean, clean experience, that it's fast and it's easy so that we have minimal drop-off just because like we got in our own, we almost like we got in the leads way when they were trying to become a customer of us. Let's not do that, right? And then three and four, I mean, the reality for, for a test is like we do a bit of that together. Like it'd be a long time before we do pure brand building activity where we're just trying to get the name of a test out there with like a concept associated with it. The reality is we'd kind of do that while we're doing create intent activities. Create intent activities is like the lead gen that we do and kind of a few other bits of advertising to try and just get, get, get some response from people. Big difference there is create, create intent will have, I, I think if the messaging is slightly different and you're actually asking the person to do something, whereas in building brand awareness, it's just about associating a concept with the company. Okay. So on the next one, I'm going to talk about how we think about that funnel again in terms of content awareness stages. So the awareness stage is problem unaware, which is like Nike marketing campaign, problem aware, solution aware, and product and brand aware. Again, if you're super early stage and your resources are tight, I would also start at the bottom, right? So if you start at the bottom, you have to get the messaging for the product nailed um, and you do a case study, right? As quickly as possible. Um, case studies are like the, the queen, the king, the duchess, the whatever uh, for, for, for content because it validates, gives you validation, right? The other good thing about starting at the bottom is um, content at the bottom can be used by more teams within the company than content at the top. So if you do your product messaging really well and you do your case studies, the marketing team will use it, the sales team will use it, the product team will use it, the founder will use it when they're prospecting, the founder will use it with investors. That becomes less true the higher up those awareness stages you go. So when you're at the very top, the marketing team uses it and maybe someone uses it for social selling, but that's kind of it. Um, what is also helpful about thinking about things like this is it can help with, help with prioritization. Also helps think about what channels to use which thing in. So at the top, SEO, organic social. At the bottom, that's kind of retargeting, kind of email outreach. The stuff in the middle for us, well, that's where we do all our lead gen stuff, right? Our lead gen campaigning. Now, which of solution aware and problem aware is going to depend a little bit on the company that you work for. Um, if it's a new market, you're going to need to define the problem. If it's an existing market, but you're just doing it in a new and cool way, then maybe you can focus your energies on solution aware. 
it's likely that you're going to need both, but you might need one, a bit more of one over the other. Okay. Okay. Right. Next thing, this is about going back to attribution. Don't be too binary when picking metrics. So this next slide is like a visual representation of a test's attribution framework in that it's like a straight sprint from one point to the other. And what I mean by that in terms of attribution, it essentially generates leads good, doesn't generate leads bad which is okay when you're really transactional. It's definitely okay if you're super early stage because like every penny is precious. But as you get past that, the sales process starts getting a little bit more nuanced and maybe something a bit more nuanced from an attribution perspective is required as well. Again, going full kind of like massive attribution framework is gonna be too much. It's too much for a test now. We don't have that in place. But thinking about it slight, in a slightly different way is, is a good thing. The reason I say that is because the one, like the real direct, like one-to-one -one, um, relationship between leads and success uh, for us has blocked us from doing some things that maybe are valuable. So one consequence of that is you gate everything, absolutely everything, because if you don't gate it, it can't demonstrate value because it can't generate leads. Everything apart from blocks, that is. And the other thing is you just won't do some things in some channels because they won't lead to leads, even if like in your gut, based on years of marketing experience, like going to marketing school and the rest of it, you kind of know it's a good idea, but you don't do it because it won't demonstrate itself as being successful in the framework that you have. So an example of something that a test have done quite recently um, for that is on the next slide. Thank you. Um, we wrote, last month we ran a campaign in um, Facebook to, to promote one of our case studies. Okay, so we've got case study with TransferWise. Uh, the goal of the campaign was actually kind of basic. Um, if, we, if we promote uh, this kind of content, as in not lead gen content, like just kind of towards the bottom of the funnel content in Facebook, uh, will people watch it? That's it. Uh, answer that question was the objective of the campaign. The, the result was yes. Yes, they will. Um, so we ran the campaign in two phases. First phase was 11 days. Second phase was 10 days. Um, as you can see from the results in the table, uh, we learned quite a lot in phase one, which we applied to phase two because the results got significantly better. Um, those lessons were uh, we changed, we made the targeting a bit more, uh, a bit more focused. Uh, we went from a two minute video to a one minute video um, and we'd learn which um, ad copy worked the best. Um, and then the results was what nearly 2000 for 450 quid, basically nearly 2000 people watched the video the whole way through for a cost of 25p. That is a success as far as I'm concerned. Does that mean we're going to put 90% of our budget into stuff like this? Definitely not. Does that mean that if we think we can re reach our lead quota with 80% of our budget, we'd put the other 20% in something like this? Absolutely. Because there's a, there's kind of like a core belief that having a significant proportion or significant amount of people uh, view our lower funnel content and kind of actually just consume that content, that will be a good thing. And over time, that will just have a positive effect on um, our results. But how are we measuring that then in this kind of like slightly con conceptual way without the attribution model in, in place? So in the next one, so measuring performance. So first, measuring each channel based on the goals of the channel. So basically measure each channel on what it's good at. That means a lot of the time, the measure of success is leads. But if we're doing a LinkedIn lead gen form campaign, it's leads, obviously. Um, but in, obviously in the case of the video campaign, not leads. Um, and we use this as a basis for individual KPIs. Um, what that means is if they're members of the team, 
who may have felt that Leeds was a long way away from them. They're like layers of activity between them and Leeds. That's no longer a problem for them because they've got a KPI which is very close to home, which we've kind of thought out as being leading up to that lead goal. Then we ladder all of those individual KPIs and like the channel success measures up into team performance metrics. So the team performance metrics that we're working to are hand raisers. This is, this is people that have come to us and said, uh, can I buy from you, please? If that's going up, then the totality of what we're doing is working, right? And we're all very happy if that's going up. And then beyond that, we're looking at what's got fairly standardized pipeline metrics, like number of leads, number of leads accepted by the SDR team, number of meetings booked, overall pipeline contribution, and new AR. The reality is, like, if we hit the ARR number and miss everything else, we don't care, right? So, like, they kind of get higher priority as they as they go down. Like, if we hit ARR and hand raisers, then we're super happy, and the rest of it is just kind of details. And then the final one is is CAC, just to make sure we're being kind of cost efficient as we as we do it. The good thing, oh, sorry, the good thing about the measuring each channel based on the goals of the channel is we can be quite specific about content performance metrics. Um, which, which may be lead, might not be lead, could be about consumption. It just brings the idea of content, the concept of content consumption as being a valuable activity, even if someone doesn't hand over an email address. Okay, definitely done this time. So I'll, just quick takeaways then, focusing at the bottom of the consideration funnel can be a good idea. Um, and you can't shoehorn every channel into a basic attribution framework. And for a long time, we'll all have basic attribution frameworks because um, complex ones are expensive um, and measure the success of a channel based on what it's good at um, and have a clear view of overall revenue metrics. Cool. Um, again, then from my side, it's um, brand can wait, but not too long. So don't get into a cycle of exclusively focusing on performance marketing. Um, it's important to have that foundation there for when you need to layer on um, another layer on more growth and, and not experience any lag. Good research does equal good content. Um, I feel like I'm being like a salesperson for a test. It doesn't have to be through a test. It just has to be some research. Um, look at your market, not just not just what you see in Google Analytics, not what just, just what you see in your CRM, um, and understand what is going to resonate um, and layer that on top of keywords. And product marketing is actually really foundational for really good content marketing. So when you're structuring teams, and, and I guess product marketing could, depending on the type of business you're in, um, it could be switched out for brand marketing or sometimes even brand management, but use, use the, that as a foundation, um, go to those people, figure out what works in terms of messages, and then build that into your content calendar. And I think that's it from us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan and Andy. That was um, so detailed and interesting to see how the two sides work together.